This episode is brought to you by Meow Wolf. Manifest unique family memories at Meow Wolf Denver. Quantum travel is the most comfortable way for Earthers of all ages to explore a playground of imagination. And why visit just once when this immersive experience reshapes every time you enter? C Street is my favorite because C Street has this vibe of like 80s dystopian. There's like slime coming down the walls and there's weird posters. And then of course, the secret club. With the annual Portal Pass, drop by Convergence Station as much as you want for less than the cost of two adult tickets. So if you plan to go twice, it's worth it. Plus, enjoy discounts, special offers, and so much more. Get the annual Portal Pass and spend quality space time with your favorite Earthers today. Learn more at MeowWolf.com. That's MeowWolf.com. Today on CityCast Denver. Along with the rest of the country, the city is reeling from another video showing police beating a black man to death. We're talking about the local impact of the Tyree Nichols video with one of our favorite guests. But first, Denver recorded 82 traffic deaths in 2022. So we're also going to dig deep into what Vision Zero really means. Today is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city with a guy running for mayor who has Sephora money. That's right, Andy Rougeau, a Republican running uh, what Axios calls a, quote, law and order, less government campaign, has self-funded his run so far with a half a million dollar loan from himself. Um, we haven't had a right-leaning mayor in Denver since 1961. Paul, do you think he has a chance? Uh, sure. I don't know. I mean, I, I have no idea how, who's going to come out of this 17 person race <laughs> and what people want out of a mayor right now. We started doing our mayoral interviews and I am, as usual, when it comes to politics, turned upside down, topsy turvy, don't know which way is up. <laughs> but the fact that Mr. Rougeau, his, his father is the CEO of Sephora, gotta say it makes sense. Looking at pictures of this guy, don't like to comment on candidates' appearance normally, but he's got great skin. <laughs> <laughs> He's got Sephora skin. I, I yeah, he looks great. Say, it, I'm jealous. It, it explained why, you know, you can look at campaign finance reports. Anybody can see where the money is coming from. And I was like, where did this guy get half a million dollars? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Sephora, honestly, I, I've made this observation recently, but you can go into any store in the mall and there are no employees. <laughs> There's 500 customers and no one to help them except Sephora. There is. I swear, a, an employee for every customer. They are doing gangbusters. They're so busy. I attribute it probably to like YouTube and like makeup tutorials and sort of that whole thing. But it is, I I can see why Sephora makes a lot of money. They are busy. Hey, that looks good for Mr. Rougeau. Let's bring the <laughs> Sephora customer service approach to the city. Wow. I, I have never been in a Sephora. It's pretty wild. Like it's very frenetic. It's very busy. Mm. It's just a very, it's a busy Why? store. Why? Because, I mean, it's like, it's packed. There's so many people. Like I said, there's an employee for every person that comes in. They're doing makeup uh, tutorials. They're doing makeovers. It is just like, I love it. So it's an active buying environment. It is old school. It's, it it's kind interactive. of feels oh, like okay. how stores used to feel. Not necessarily that the products are better. Well, they have a wide variety. It's like the makeup department at a department store, which is what you and I would be more familiar with, 
in a in an individual store. That's all it is. It's a makeup department in a store. Without the, they ditched the department store because they know that wasn't making any money. So it's it's a big business. Um, okay. So we're we're going to try to get Andy on the show here. So listeners, if you have questions for him or any of the other 17 candidates who will be on your ballot in a few weeks, reach out to us. Um, but it's Friday. We're at Westward. Oh. Can I just say, we've got some great questions in already. We Keep have. Them coming. We have such interesting questions, things I would never have thought of. People asking questions about transit, about housing, about what else? About uh, we got one a great one about transparency and engagement with the public, oh, like yeah. how how the mayor or the, these candidates would engage with the public. I can't wait to hear what people say to that one. Maybe it's because the race this year is not a foregone conclusion. Yeah, Michael Hancock is term limited, so there's a chance to get some new blood after what twelve years. Uh-huh. So okay. maybe people are stepping up and, and getting interested because they know but possibly he, their voice will count. I think so. Absolutely. Especially with we're going to go to a runoff. So anybody could be in that top two at this point. Yeah, it feels real. It feels really wide open and real this year. I'm still excited about it. We've done a couple of those interviews, which will be running this weekend. So stay tuned. Check your feed over the weekend. Mm-hmm. We'll have our first two interviews that we've done with candidates. Uh, one you probably know pretty well. Another one you've never heard of. Mm. And they both are, are interesting folks. So Yeah, I think we're going to be... Uh, I mean, no one else has reported anything about one of these candidates, the interview we're running this weekend. I I don't know how people are going to react to it. There's definitely, I mean, she is an interesting person. I'll say that. She's an interesting person. Well, you're not going to tell us who it is? Renata Behrens. Okay. Renata Behrens. And? She has no internet presence. She has no... Paul had to go find her. <laughs> so her she's only been on CityCast Denver. She will have been yeah. only on CityCast hmm. Denver as of this weekend, as far as we know. So, an exclusive. It's an exclusive. <laughs> All right. We have we introduced Joanne. We should introduce. No, Joanne. we haven't. No. We haven't. So we're. Okay. It's I'm, Friday. I'm sitting here okay. wondering why am let I me, here? Who am me, I? <laughs> am I a potted plant? No. <laughs> let okay. me give you a formal introduction. <laughs> It's Friday, we're at Westward, and we're joined by one of our favorite guests, longtime voice of, on public radio and current host of the Been There, Done That podcast, Joanne Allen. Hi. Hey, y'all. Welcome I'm so, back. Thank you. It is nice to be back. It's been, uh, I don't know, a couple of months or so, and uh, I, I, I always love being on this show because I get the chance to just spew whatever <laughs> I want to spew. <laughs> well, you're a Paul and Brie favorite, but uh, you're also a fan favorite. So, oh, thank you. That's we nice are to always know. excited to yay, have you back. Yay! Um, so, first topic: we're going to talk about Vision Zero and traffic deaths here in Denver. Um, this really came out of a Westward op-ed from Molly McKinley. Um, it's Denver's transportation system is a public health crisis. Molly is a former guest of the show. She's policy director for Denver Streets Partnership and was on our show last year to talk about the Denver Deserves Sidewalks Initiative, which voters passed in November. Um, but Molly's op-ed focuses on a few things related to transit here in Denver, but she talks about the failure of Vision Zero. Paul, what is Vision Zero? Vision Zero is a very nice thing to say. It is words. Um, uh, in terms of like, as a policy, it originated as an idea in Scandinavia in the late 90s. Uh, first in Sweden, there was a bill passed that stated, 
quote, no one, well, I'm, I'm quoting quote English, but it was probably in Swedish at the time, but it said that no one should be killed or seriously injured within the Swedish road transport system and the structure and the function of the road transport system must be brought into line with the demands this goal entails. So, so they were basically codifying this idea that they are going to attempt to achieve zero traffic deaths. And, and do that by infrastructure and yeah. transit changes that would make that possible. Yeah, yeah. Because um, this is something that happened in Sweden. In Sweden, they did this. Uh, in Norway, they did this. Um, all across Scandinavia, my understanding is it's been very successful. In the United States, it's also been a very popular idea. But then it's the, the follow-up part that's been hard here. Well, see, that's the thing. It's like, how can you compare Sweden and Norway to cities in the U.S. And as you said, here in the U.S., it's a popular idea. But is it something that can really come to fruition? It, it just seems to me like it's pie in the sky. It's just being able to say we're doing something or we're trying something. And I, I just, you know, I, I, I read as much of Vision Zero's documents as I could, but they were so flowery and so full of too many words that I couldn't really quite grasp a lot of it. But some of the things I, I, I understand, but I just wonder if those things can, can actually be put into practice in a city like Denver, which is, you know, very different, I would assume, than, uh, what's the city? Stockholm or... Oslo. Oslo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think it's a choice is, is, the, is the issue, is that we have made the choice not to do these things. And we haven't said the numbers yet, but like traffic deaths since Denver instituted Vision Zero, or at least, you know, pledged to do it back in 2017, mm -hmm. um, our traffic deaths have not gone down. They've gone up. It was a 82 last year, which was, is a high watermark since Vision Zero. Um, so it's just a choice to not do it, to not care. But weren't, wasn't the, the plan supposed to be implemented in by 2020? 2030. 2030. I think is okay. where they, they yeah. wanted to achieve this yeah. zero traffic deaths. But Joanne, I want to get to something that I feel like you're kind of dancing around, which is like, it's not something we could do here. It's not something we want to do. It's what is it that Stockholm is doing or that part of the world is doing that we're not doing here in Denver or America? Well, you know, I, I think it, it in a city like Denver, where it seems like traffic patterns weren't well thought out, to correct something is difficult. I agree with Molly McKinley's editorial about improving bus service, that that could help. But is, would that work in Denver? I mean, we, we have I-25 that is the real huge problem. What bus is going to take you to work from the suburbs down I-25 to your office in Centennial? I mean, it, it, it just doesn't feel like even if we were to improve the bus system in the inner city, if you will, or central city, it's not going to go out into the suburbs. It's not going to go down to the Denver Tech Center. So I don't know if improve. I want bus service to improve. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But I just don't know if it can happen to the point of where people will abandon their cars and start taking the bus to get to work. And you're saying this as a bus rider, which I find yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. No, I, I, I would love for bus service to improve. 
because I do take public transportation a lot. I just don't know if we can envision, truly envision, making a system that will really service Metro Denver. Well, it's interesting you brought up a vision because actually this week the Department of Transportation Infrastructure published a big vision document. They laid out this plan for uh, achieving this multimodal transit utopia that we talk about where someone would be able to take the bus from the suburbs into downtown where they work, um, which is only just one piece of the puzzle as the document lays out. Um, but I, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. I found it to be a really interesting report. They talked about all sorts of challenges that Denver is facing. Population growth, traffic deaths, air quality, heat island effects, racial inequities, car dependency, all of these different challenges that are all part of this one big challenge. And um, the problem is not the vision. I feel like the vision is clear. It's it's the money and the will. Because the the one thing that stuck out to me about this document is that they say it's going to cost $800 million annually to make all of the small incremental changes to improve bus service, to like to lay out this like uh, grid of bus rapid transit lines that people could actually use to get to where they need to go fast enough that it's better than driving in their car. I agree. $800 million. It's yeah. like huge. Well, that's the other thing I thought. In order to implement any kind of plan, where's the money coming from? What, who, um, are they going to raise taxes? Comes, no. Well, I is, is the state I, is the state going to fork over some money? A little, you know. Not Mr. Polis. Not for not for Denver neighborhoods. Not for RTD. Twenty seventeen, when Vision Zero was announced, um, was when they released the I seventy expansion plan as well. An estimated two point two billion over the course of more more than thirty years. So I understand yeah. that's a stretch, but. I would just counter that we have we have ways to find that money. We just don't have the will to do it. And I think there's this concern that we would be forcing people into making a choice. But at this point, it feels like that's probably what has to be done, right? Paul, you, I mean, you share a car with your wife. Mm-hmm. I, my household now has two cars. I mean, I think we're like a lot of people. So I just, I don't know. I think that the money, I don't think the money could be the problem. It's convincing people it's a good idea. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Everything I read from all of the transit planners, all of the like urban planners who I read talking about this vision zero issue and traffic deaths, all of them said it really boils down to one thing. It's it has to be a little bit more inconvenient to drive the car. Yeah. It has to be a compromise and People who drive cars, they just have to get somewhere a little bit slower. Like that's how Oslo actually achieved Vision Zero. They banned cars from much of the center of the city, Mm -hmm. which we tried to do and are now slowly talking about doing again, maybe. They have omnipresent automatic speed cameras. So that's like another huge investment of money, but creates this like accountability. Drivers know that if they do do something, there's going to be consequences. They lowered speed limits and then... Here's an interesting thing. Every time there's a car crash, which there are not many of, it triggers a government investigation, not just a, like a one-page police report like right, we do. Right, so that would be like another reason to not drive, butt. right? Is You could get mired in legal litigation with the city yeah. if you get in an accident in your privately owned car. Yeah, so they just like accept now all of these like smaller inconveniences that are part of the car driving experience that I don't know. I mean... 
That's that's the hard sell part, I think. What is the population of Oslo? And do they have mountains nearby where people will absolutely make sure that they have <laughs> yeah. cars to get into? I mean, this is a car culture. Mm-hmm. It's almost like L.A. and Atlanta. You know, people people drive everywhere they go. And, and I, you know, I have friends who will say, uh, I'm just going to run to the store. And the store is like six blocks away. They jump in their car. It's a, you, you got to get that culture out of people as well. You got to get that idea that my car is my second home. I agree with you, but also it's where that matches up with the options. So I, I am that person. I'm that person that drives three blocks. We were at an event at the Far East Center at Alameda and Federal last weekend with our friends, 12 of us. We had everybody had parked at our house and we wanted to walk 10 blocks to this restaurant and we debated driving and then we walked walking down Alameda. It's like walking on the side of a highway. We had an infant. We Mm. had two toddlers that were just going wild. And I struggled to think I would ever do this again by choice. Well, yeah, if you have kids. Right, but people have kids and have to walk all the time on that street and have, you know, to take the bus and all these things. So I think that we can say that people need to get out of their cars, but it's not just that that it's like more convenient. It just has to be safer, feel safer. I think that's what Molly's talking about too here is safety is a huge issue. We decriminalized jaywalking this week. Part of that, and I think what I, I really liked from the city council members that did vote to decriminalize it was the argument was we want to make it safer for pedestrians to pick where, how they travel. Because often there isn't a crosswalk that is not convenient, but even accessible. So some people jaywalk for that reason. And so I don't know. I think it just comes down to safety. Um, And also with jaywalking, a disproportionate number of people of color and lower lower income communities, uh, they're the ones who get ticketed. It's it's it's, any reason to stop someone, right? Yeah, yeah. But Paul, something I know struck struck some uh, struck a chord with you and Molly's op-ed was that she frames this failure of vision zero and and the way we we treat public transit and and traffic deaths as a public health crisis what do you think about that I mean as, as it was just a first impression really as soon as I read the op-ed I completely changed my mind but the the headline framing this as a public health emergency was such a turnoff it made me want to drive more really honestly <laughs> really yeah. why I don't want to be a in front of another car, like the mic, I might get hit by a car, might die with it, like these 82 oh, people. I, I want to be safer. Like if this is, I don't want to put myself in the line of fire, you know? But, but it's yeah, like then I started also... reading the op-ed and was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's another good point. But yeah, what do you think about I, the framing, Joanne? Well, I was going to say, I liked the framing. I, I thought, I, I agree. When I read the headline, that's what made me want to read the article hmm. was to see, well, how is this a public health problem? Because we have so many. And I couldn't figure out transportation, how? And then when you read the article, much like you changing your mind, Paul, mm-hmm. you recognize that it is a threat to people's safety and their health. So I, I like the framing. Hmm. Yeah. And I don't like to disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you disagree with me. You're one of the most fun people to disagree with. So we're looking at this mayoral race. Again, we were just talking about this turning point, this opportunity to maybe have some a whole new administration that we've not had for 12 years. Um, what should do you, Joanne, what do you think? I, I mean, you're a bus rider. What would you want to hear from a candidate when they talk about transportation in Denver? First of all, I think I want to know that they truly understand the problems 
and that they're not just going to issue some white paper or whatever it's called or a statement saying how they and and say it in words that are just not saying anything that they are for improving the transportation system they're going to work with RTD they're going to work with the state they're going to you know all of the things that you would think i want it i want the candidates to take public transportation I want the candidates to walk up and down Colfax and see what the the problems are there. I want them to experience what the issues are and then come back with a plan. So if you say that you're going to make the world terrifically better here in Denver, but don't show me that you know what you're talking about, you won't get my vote. And I think transportation is definitely an issue that should be on their agendas. So maybe challenging candidates to take a week and not drive. Like do whatever you need to do for a whole week in your life and use public transit, walk, do however else, you know, ride a bike, whatever. But do that to really understand what folks probably go through on a daily basis. Identify firsthand what the problems are and then try and come up with a solution. We're not saying you have to come up with the answer, but make it so that you know what you're talking about. It's the best way to know. Paul, what do you think? I mean, that's a pretty good answer. I would like to hear from some from personal experience what people think is the real issue, but I, I kind of think we know what the problems are when it comes to our transportation system. I don't think that anything, it's not, it's not a secret. We know, but do the candidates know? Do they know? I mean, again, firsthand. Experience the problems firsthand, not from afar. Mm -hmm. Like so many politicians determine issues or make laws or, you know, investigate, have someone else on their staff investigate. You go do it. You want to be mayor of Denver? Make sure you understand firsthand what the transportation issues are. I think for me, the biggest thing is honesty about the challenge because it is going to require compromises and trade-offs. It's not just something you can say, like this Vision Zero BS. Like you can't just say we're going to achieve zero traffic deaths and not be willing to make it more inconvenient to drive because there's only so much space. Like you have to say, buy you know, by not making these changes, we are accepting 82-ish traffic deaths per year. That's the choice we're making. So if we don't want to have those deaths, we need to make these changes. Like that's the level of honesty I would like to hear from these candidates. And I think it comes back to Molly's framing of this as a public health crisis. And in that way, it makes sense to me. You're right to say, I don't, we don't want to have 82 traffic deaths by 2025, say. Make it a reality then. What does it take to do that? You're right. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with another segment. And we're back. Um, One week ago, the world watched yet another video of a black man dying at the hands of police. Um, In this case, it was Memphis police and the man's name was Tyree Nichols. I don't know how we're going to talk about this, but I I think we have to because... People were out protesting this weekend here in Denver, despite cold temperatures. And this kind of thing happens in Colorado, too. Joanne, I want to start with you. Can you share with us your reaction to the Tyree Nichols video that came out last week? 
I saw, um, I have to admit, I did not know that this case existed uh, involving Dalvin Gadsden, who was beaten up by Colorado Springs police officers back in October. And Gadsden was initially charged with two counts of second-degree assault on a police officer, resisting arrest, obstructing a police officer, driving under the influence, and driving without license plates. He ended up paying a $15 fine for improperly displaying the license plates on his car, according to his attorney. So when this incident happened back in October, the police department did, I don't know, some sort of investigation Mm. and then decided that the Colorado Springs Police Department found that the officer's actions were within policy. And so what happened to this guy is they asked him to get out of the car, and the moment he said no, they pounced. And they started punching him from the front. A guy was on the passenger side, a a cop on the passenger side, and started punching him mercilessly from behind and calling him names and narrating what they said was happening which was not exactly what was happening on the videotape. So you feel like they were sort of covering for themselves by saying they were, differently than what we, we just watched that video. Exactly. They were doing what happened to Tyree Nichols mm. because I didn't watch that tape I because I, I just couldn't. But I know the officers in that case, they were narrating stuff that was not happening. It was the opposite that was happening. And the same thing has hap- happened here to Mr. Gadsden, they were saying, you're, you're, he's assaulting me, he's assaulting me, and you can hear Gadsden say, I'm not assaulting you, and you can see he's not assaulting him. So you wonder, do cops think that somehow the body cam footage will be erased, not shown, or whatever, because they are saying, and will bring charges based on what they're saying on the video, that ends up being in in Mr. Gatson's case and Mr. Nichols' case, the opposite. Now, the question becomes, why do these officers act that way? Mm-hmm. Some people will say... That was not self... We did not see a moment where they needed self-defense. We no. Did not, this looked like a... I mean, this looked like a beating outside of a nightclub to me, and, like drunk dudes. And, and, and not only that, but one of the officers was um, ended up on top of Gatson in kind of a George Floyd looking mm. hold he had his he was on his back and he had his knee on his back he was not you know i don't he obviously uh, mr gasson was was talking so he wasn't being strangled or asphyx or asphyx you know what Asphyxiated. i'm trying to say yes <laughs> that's not funny to, to to say this but 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 they you know these cops were just mad that how dare you not obey a command. Mm-hmm. And it's well known that if you do certain things, if you show disrespect to cops, if you don't do exactly what they say when they say it, if you dare to run, they are going to beat the hell out of you if they get the chance. They'll and beat the hell out of you anyway. They will, they will do that, but you well, really piss watched. them off by, by, by making them have to you know, start breathing hard you know, to make the arrest. So the question becomes, there are folks who say the training is not that that that's the cops aren't trained to act the way these cops did down in Colorado Springs 
Yet, the police department says they found the officer's actions to be within policy. Is that the, the policy? So they are trained to do that. Are they trained to do that? I don't know. It's very conflicting with what they're saying versus what we saw versus yeah. what then the policy says. Yeah. yeah I mean, this it is, is. This is, it's, it's really tough because, yeah, there are bad apples. But how do they become mm-hmm. bad apples? A, a culture. A of- culture. They created to say that this is what you're allowed to do to a civilian who's driving with, I don't know, and, expired and may It may be seen as a nobody. Right. You know? It's nauseating is what it is, and it's confusing. I don't understand it either, how these things happen. I did watch the Tyree Nichols video. I am one of those people who likes to know for themselves, and it was very painful. It was, uh, yeah, it kept me up that night. Mm. It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. I don't understand why, why uh, these police officers act this way. Yeah. That's it. That's all I have to say. I just don't understand why it happens. Yeah. The Tyree Nichols thing was tough. I think, I mean, I didn't watch it. I chose to watch videos of him skateboarding instead. Mm. Um, but that's when you see a person that you know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you see somebody that you know in that person and, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think the calls now for police reform is really the issue. Yeah. Um, although I would have thought after George Floyd's death <laughs> that the momentum would have continued towards police reform. Yeah. But it has not. Philando Castile. Philando Castile. Yeah. I mean, Sandra it, Bland. But Kia Boyd. But you actually see George Floyd die. <sighs> yeah. You know, and so I turn to um, uh, a, an opinion written by Charles Blow for the New York Times. And one of the things that he said, and I'm I'm just going to kind of read it, he said that as Americans shifted to other priorities such as politics and the economy, the broader public becomes desensitized to police killings, or it callously started to see the police killings as unfortunate but ultimately acceptable byproducts of much-needed increased policing at a time of rising crime. And then a little further down, he goes on to say, too many liberal politicians showed us that their commitment to legislation, obviously police reform legislation, and even language to protect black lives from police violence was polling, P-O-L-L-I-N-G, dependent, not rooted in moral rectitude or core values, but governed by their ideas, public appeal. When the winds shifted, these politicians spun like a weather vane. In other words, when, what does it take? Will it take Tyree Nichols before there is meaningful police reform? What will it take, Paul? I don't think so. I don't think anything's going to change from these incidents. Yeah, how many videos do we have to watch? I mean, how many people do we have to know? How many people do we have to know third hand? Or how many people in our lives do we have to lose to it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 one day I will watch the Tyree Nichols video. But I know I can't right now. I, I want to watch the skateboarding. I think I want to see that. I'll but then that's going to make me really sad too is to yeah. see that. But um, I, I, just, I just think we need to get off our fannies and, among other things, like in the mayoral race, demand yeah. more police reform because God knows Denver police have a little problem themselves. Our, our payouts for police brutality are 
quite high. It is something that we have, I mean, we've done over and over again, the folks that we've lost. Yeah. You know. Because body cams don't seem to deter them. Large payouts mm. don't seem to deter them. Nothing seems to deter them. What, what, what will it take? Very difficult, big problem. It's a question for mayoral candidates, though. And we'll be asking them. Yep. What does public safety mean to you? And where do you want to put that money? Because like you said, the STAR program, is, or we, we've talked about the STAR program as a great start. That, wouldn't have, that would not have saved this gentleman from being beaten. But it's somewhere we could shift some resources to start having a different conversation about public safety. Time for the official CityCast Denver, maybe for your weekend, as in maybe you'll see us there. Um, As usual, there are so many cool things happening in Denver this weekend, and we have opinions about them. Newsletter editor Adrian Gonzalez joins us. Adrian, you've got a couple picks for us. What's up? Good morning. Hi. Great to see everybody. Hey, Hey, Adrian. Uh, A lot of different fun stuff today. Today is... Uh, first Friday, which is one of my favorite days around the city. Oh, it's been yeah. a little Happy cold lately. Happy First Friday, everyone. Happy First Friday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the weather's a little nicer? Yeah, you, it's, it's walkable. It's a, yeah. it's a little more bearable. Everybody's um, going to be on Santa Fe Street? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you find me on Santa Fe Street. There, there are always a lot of galleries and different events going on, but I picked a specific one for today. Mm. Uh, Museo de las Américas is opening their doors. You can enter and see their exhibit for free. Uh, and they're celebrating because it's... Black History Month, um, celebrating Afro-Latina identity. Hmm. Um, so a couple different installations. You can see the installation that they have right now. Uh, and then there's a free 45-minute class with Samba Colorado. Oh. So bring your sneakers, like your dancing shoes. Dance? Okay, yeah. cool. Learn how to sam- Samba. Do they still have the Luis Barragan stuff up? Oh, the architect, the Mexican architect? Oh, I am dying to go see that bodyguard exhibit. Okay, Museo's one. Mm-hmm. All right. Museo, Museo. Um, Wow, we're going to be on the Latino train. Uh, later on tonight, <laughs> Los Mocochetes, the local band who actually produced. Yeah, uh, I've heard them. You might have heard them on the show every day. Did every you listen? single day when there are soundtracks. The music. Um, they're playing a concert uh, at Northwind Arts tonight. Uh, so it's uh, if you haven't heard Los Mocochetes, what would you describe it as, Brie? Their music. It's like roots rock. I mean, hmm. it's dancey. Yeah. It's fun. It's always got a little bit of history and act like the, they're an activist. They're an activist group in that they talk about the experiences in the world that they have as Chicano people, as well as the history of um, being Chicano in Denver too, which I think is really cool. But um, I don't know. We listen to them every day. How do we? <laughs> I literally know this band's work better than any other band. <laughs> I, I, I know every note in the recordings that they put out. Um, and I do love them still. Well, I, I, I think can't we didn't use their tacos song in the tacos show. Oh they have a whole God. song about tacos. We'll have to put that under the credits or something. That's yes. such a good what song. A failure of I us. Forgot about that, that is a great anyway, song. Joanne, I, I, say, I have a feeling, Adrian, that's a leading question because you're about to tell us what you think. <laughs> it's always hard to, to call anything a genre and say it's funk. Um, I yeah. will read a description that they have here for this event. Uh, it says they're a Chicano funk band that uses groovalicious melodies thoughtfully bracing song lyrics and high energy stage antics to create an immersive experience they are a fun band to see live they're also some of the 
nicest, coolest people I know. They're very mm. sweet. You would think yeah. uh, they have such stage presence that you would think they would be like crazy punk dudes. And, and they kind of are. But at heart, they're such sweet. <laughs> Sometimes they are. But Always fun to see. Go see them. All right. What else we got, Adrian? All right. Tomorrow night, uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art is closing down. They're throwing down a party for their uh, current exhibit that's closing down this Saturday, uh, 6 to 9 p.m. It is uh, called Soulful. The exhibition that they currently have that's closing is called The Dirty South, Contemporary Arts, Material Culture, and the Sonic Impulse. Um, if you haven't seen this exhibit, I, I highly recommend you see it before it closes this weekend. It's it's all about the South's impact um, on culture, on pop culture throughout history. The South? The South as in the American South. Yeah, The okay. Dirty South, as, as uh, one the would call them. The Dirty South. <laughs> I am and that's from- at MCA Denver. MCA in downtown. Denver. Okay. I'm from Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, you know all about this. I agree system. with you. Yeah. <laughs> so give, give us a preview. What can we look forward to if we went there? What would we see? Uh, I see you put me on the, the spot. The cultural impact of Mobile, Alabama. Oh, uh, you know, we don't talk about it. You have to go see you it. You have to see it. You, yourself, have, to, you huh? have to get that immersive experience okay. of seeing the exhibit. That's very, that's immersive as it gets. Go to Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Um, all right, Adrian, we have another one? We got one more, uh, and I put this one in here because I've never been to one of these, and I thought Paul would love this. Ooh, okay. The yeah, right. 2023 USA Curling Men's and Women's National Championship Hell is yes. happening. Oh, it's God. kicking off this um, Sunday at the Coliseum. It seems like we talk about curling every time I'm here. <laughs> oh, is this a recurring <laughs> thing? It feels, not from you, but Paul somehow works it in. I think I might have mentioned this when this was announced. And yeah, I do think this would be a fun day. Curling, if you've never been, if you've never seen it, it's a great sport to drink a beer while you watch or participate. How did I know you were going to love that? They're they're having the opening ceremony in the championships. I didn't know this. The winners here are the ones that are going to represent the United States in the world championships for both men and women. Oh. Love so it. this is a way to, if you've never seen curling, world which I've never had, this is the way to kick it off. World-class athletes. <laughs> I don't understand that, but it seems fun. Wow, that sounds like a, a, on your parade, that, that's like a very important, is it a match? Curling matches? Is that what know. they call it? Sets? What, what is it called? It. Games? It's a curl-a-thon? <laughs> yeah. what, what is it? <laughs> no idea. I wish I, I, wish I knew more. Oh, okay. Okay. What do y'all All think? Right, what, what are we feeling? First Friday, it was first Friday, it was the Mocos in North Glen. That one might be hard to beat. I, and I will add a little bit if you I, I would say the Moco Jetes as well. Also, uh, Diego Flores, who's a member of the band, has an art opening on First Friday as well yes. at Alto Gallery. So you could see him perform and then you could come back down to the city and uh, see his art. So that would be my pick. I'd go. I'd have a full night of Moco Jetes. Yes. Well, you know, mine is going to be the Museum of Contemporary Art. I mean that's not. I know that's not. That's not a a, a, a big surprise, but that yeah. that's You're that's what Alabama. I want to do. Oh wait, maybe no, I'm not missing <laughs> Alabama, but I am writing my memoirs, so I want to go okay. and see what this exhibit is about. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. I can't wait for that memoir. Well, yeah, we can only pick one. All I, right, ha- Paul. I think I think for me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make any. I'm not gonna argue for the curling. I'm not gonna filibuster Aww. over the curling. Um, but yeah, I, I, the Mocos, Mocos in North Glen. Those guys are great. Hmm. And I'm in the mood for that Tacos song. That's such a great song. It hmm. is a great song. Yes. We'll play it. We gotta no, play I, it. I changed my mind. I'm, <laughs> I, I want to go to the cur- no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, 
Uh, Adrian, thank you so much. Yeah, Adrian, that was cool. Listen to you. Yeah. Um, you sound I'll good on the radio. I'll try not to curling next time you're, you're here. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Paul and Joanne, thank you. Thanks, Bree. Thanks, Bree. Los tacos de mi abuelita saben bien chingón. Los llenaron su carnita y muchísimo limón. Cilantro y luego cebolla, hechos con amor. Y luego cuando termina, grita, viva México. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. I'm your host, Bree Davies. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli and Aaron O'Toole. Adrian Gonzalez writes our morning newsletter. Our music is by Los Bocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell a friend about us next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866 and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See ya. Los chiles de mi abuelita pican bien chingón. Los que estén en su jardinito pa' que agarren más sabor. Los mules son molcajete pa' sacar sazón. Y siempre cuando termina grita viva México. No sé por qué no he dejado de comer. Los tacos están tan buenos que pueden ser lo que ser. Quizá, tal vez, me pueda echar otros seis. Comiendo con mi abuelita se come poco.